Let's go back to a time when you didn't need to go to college to secure a good job. Everyone has a story. I am your host, Chris McQueen. Welcome to The Time When, a podcast exploring the lives of everyday people. For additional information pertaining to each episode, visit our website, thetimewin.net. Also, make sure to participate in our monthly book club. More information on our book club is also available on our website, thetimewin.net. Hello, everybody. We're here today with our guest, Tiffany Gallagher, who is a successful tourism industry consultant. Thank you for having me. Well, now you work in tourism, but originally you started in the hotel and hospitality industry. So how did you get started in that industry? Well, I was I began in the hotel industry when I was um, 16, still in high school. I on weekends worked in housekeeping, cleaning rooms. So that was where it all started. Um, and then from there, uh, I think when I was senior, maybe I was 18, I was um, promoted, I think you would call it, to the, ho- to the front desk. And I worked at the front desk for uh, through the first, well, one year of college. Um, so that's where it started. Okay. And so how are you able to, to move up in the, in the hotel industry? So I did about a year of college and um, was a little reckless and spent a little too much time <laughs> up late at night <laughs> drinking and having fun with my friends and then consequently didn't go to class and then you know, just kind of stopped going to college and just stayed working, picked up more hours. And so I just worked more hours at the front desk. I learned all of the shifts at the front desk. There's four shifts at the front desk and each one of them has a different job duty. Mm-hmm. The morning shift sets up the, the, the 3 to 11 shift for the check-ins and mm-hmm. then the overnight shift essentially is like an entry-level accounting position where you post all of the room rates and you turn the day's business from that day to the next day. You roll the computer system over so then the next day's reservations for arriving that day come in. And so I eventually learned how to do all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, So from there, I had just opportunity after opportunity presented to me and I was promoted a lot. I was promoted a lot. I went to um, my, from the front desk. The first position I had was to the accounting office in the hotel. It's a big hotel, about 300 rooms, uh, big for Syracuse, I should say. And I did um, kind of the entry level accounting there where I analyzed the day's work. I counted all the cash. I went to the bank. I made the deposits, that sort of thing. From there, I learned accounts payable and accounts receivable, ultimately learning payroll um, for the facility. And then I was promoted to purchasing agent for the hotel. So the buyer for the hotel, uh, Mm -hmm. the job is to buy everything except food for the hotel. The chef buys the food. So I bought everything from toilet paper to office supplies, to 
um, bedding and mm. towels, liquor, beer. Mm. I purchased it. I received it. I had to, uh, I was responsible for the invoices. I was responsible for making sure that uh, what I was quoted in pricing matched the invoices, reconciliations, et cetera. So I did that uh, for a while. How would you decide and on? And then from there. How, how would you decide on hmm? like what to buy? Did like people just bid? Like was it just contracts or? A little bit of a little bit of both, right? So they would bid, um, and it was definitely you know just like you would decide how to buy groceries. You know, you which area or which purveyor had the best pricing. So you just would shop, you know, it was professional shopping essentially um, mm -hmm. at a much bigger level. Um, obviously, uh, we the bigger the hotel, the more buying power we had. It's kind of like a Walmart theory. You know, the more you buy, the lower the price should be, and so. I learned a lot about about that, which mm -hmm. was really helpful for me long term. Mm -hmm. So from there, I went to uh, back to accounting. I managed the accounting office for a period of time, and I oversaw all the positions that I had learned. I oversaw that for a while. Then I was promoted to oversee the front office of the hotel. Front office is essentially the front desk, uh, also ballet, van, shuttle, that's um, also overseen by the front office. So I did that for a number of years, really challenging, really hmm. challenging job. Guest service and um, having to maintain service standards and managing check-ins and it was a big group hotel. So there's a lot of organization required in managing reservations, uh, group contracts, et cetera. So I did that for a while. And then from there, I was I was promoted to the director of, of catering for the facility. Um, and I had not had any food and beverage experience besides being a part-time bartender in there. By the way, I was a part-time bartender. You <laughs> learned how to bartend, did that on the side. And um, so besides bartending, I had never worked in food and beverage before. And I was 23, I think wow. I was 23. And it was a 25,000 square foot facility. Uh, we had, and uh, it was, they had 50 employees, union employees. Mm. We did very high volume catering. Um, you know, we would at times in one day serve 4,000 people. Wow. I learned a lot in that couple of years. I learned you know, how to put weddings on, conventions, you know, flip rooms, um, manage wait staff coordinate serving, um, manage food cost, manage beverage cost, uh, coordinate with kitchen and manage inventory of China glass linen for a facility size. So it was a really good experience, but it was a grueling, grueling. What was it like being uh, so young, being in charge of so many, so many people? So it's funny. I, you know, I would always, and I was, you know, I was young in charge of people from pretty young age. When I was the buyer, I, I managed the bar that was part of that position. And so that was really my first uh, overseeing of, of people. And so that I was, when I took that position as the buyer, I was, I was under 20, I was 19 or 20 when I took that job because we had to get permission from the liquor authority for me to buy the liquor for the hotel. Huh. Of my age. 
Yeah. Um, and because I wasn't buying it for personal use, it was fine. Um, but yeah, I was really young. And so I, I started managing people at a really young age and almost always I was met with a bit of resistance. But what I found was when they, when they trusted me and understood that I was competent, that all went away. Oh, okay. And so I didn't have, I didn't have trouble. You know, I came in and I was able to communicate respectfully with, with people. Um, I understood what I didn't know and I sought out it, in catering in particular, there was catering staff, head waitresses, if you will, um, who were professional head waitresses, by the way, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a skilled job who knew way more than I could have ever known about facilitating that. And if, and if they didn't like me, they could have made my life <laughs> hell. Mm -hmm. I mean, imagine, imagine a wedding going bad, you know, it's a once in a lifetime uh, event. You have a lot of pressure to make sure that goes really well. And so they, uh, I, I made sure that I sought their expertise, that I asked them for help um, and guidance. And, you know, they were my, they were my partners in what I did. And so that was kind of how I got through it. And then I learned a lot as a result of that. And from there, uh, at that point, I was also promoted to the assistant general manager for the hotel. So I was also in the absence of the general manager in charge of the hotel. Um, I did a lot of interaction with department heads. There was I want to say like 17 department heads. And so I started doing some kind of executive level work at that time. And then I was promoted to director of sales and marketing for the facility, which I did that work for uh, six or seven years uh, and directed the sales effort, catering effort, essentially in charge of the revenue for the hotel uh, of bringing in um, all revenues. Wow. Food rooms, et cetera. So I did that for a long time. And then I worked for in the, it was all in the same hotel. Everything that I just said was all in the same hotel. Mm -hmm. And general manager had been there for 30 plus years. He had been there a long time and he, you know, just wasn't ready to retire and I was ready to try something more. So I applied for a position uh, for general manager position at a hotel in Ithaca, New York. And, and got the job. And so I took my first general manager position then. Wow. And that, I, yes. So I was, I think when I accepted that job, I was okay. 29. Mm -hmm. So I managed, I think that hotel had 75 employees. It was a 200 room hotel in downtown. Ithaca. So was that one larger than um, your previous hotel? No. No, no. So the hotel that I, I like to say I grew up in, um, was 300 rooms and had 25,000 mm -hmm. square feet of meeting space um, and, a, and a full service restaurant. Uh, the hotel I went to manage had 200 rooms with mm, maybe five or 6,000 square feet of meeting space and a full service restaurant. So it was a smaller hotel, but it was from a, a revenue perspective, the rooms division made almost twice as much as the bigger hotel in Syracuse. And the reason why was because the room rates in Ithaca wow. are really high because the demand is really high and there's not a lot of hotel rooms in Ithaca because Cornell is there in Ithaca College. So the 
demand is high and those who visit that city also are pretty affluent and uh, level of service expectation is different. So it was a really good experience for me, uh, just a different mm -hmm. clientele. It was a downtown hotel where you could walk places. The, uh, the business that we received was very different than the business that okay. we received. So would you commute Syracuse. from Syracuse there? I did. I drove back and forth an hour and 15 minutes each way. Uh, and I did that for five years. Um, I did contemplate moving there, but what I didn't know when I took the position was that Ithaca is very expensive to live. Huh. And I, I know you wouldn't know that because it's so close to Syracuse. But the reason why is because there's an incredible demand on housing because of the two universities, mm -hmm. it's a super small city. Wow. So the demand for housing is really high and the supply is really low. So kind of basic economics, <laughs> the cost of living significantly higher there. So I just didn't ever move. Wow. I just drove back and forth. I would stay at the hotel from mm -hmm. time to time. If I was working long hours, I would stay overnight there uh, sometimes. And so then how did you come back to working in Syracuse? I was, so the general manager that I mentioned who was at the hotel for 30 plus years got ready to, he was ready to retire. So he called me and he said, you know, I know you're driving back, back and forth and you've been a general manager for a few years now. I would like to retire and I think you're perfect to take my position. So he offered mm. me the job to come back. And so I came back and ran, ran that big hotel. Um, which in, in between the time I was gone had built another hotel and connected it to that hotel. So the, the total room count for the, the total facility went up significantly. So I managed two hotels and the food and beverage facility, which had been expanded to 40,000 square feet. Yeah. Wow. 200 ways total. So so you, you say you kept getting promoted. What do you think was the the key to I you was literally willing to do anything. <laughs> you know, and I would figure it out. Even if mm -hmm. I didn't know it and I, I had never experienced it before, which was the case I think for every job that I took, I would spend a lot of time learning how to do it. I mean, I would pick up manuals like as a front office manager you you are the the resident expert on the computer systems reservation system um the the actual hotel operating system so which also is the accounting system it's you know it's pretty complex and that was it was my job to know those systems and be able to navigate them and i remember i would pick up the manual and i would i would read it um, i wanted to know everything so if I had an opportunity to learn something, even if it wasn't in my space, number one, I was given the opportunity. I mean, I had a leader who gave me a lot of opportunities and he said, you know, we're doing this. It's not necessarily your role, but we're going to do this. Do you want to sit in on it? Do you want to listen? And he would give me those opportunities. And, you know, he really fostered me through, through mm -hmm. all of my um, promotions and he just knew that if I took the job that I was just, I was, I'm very determined. I'm not going to fail, even if it means I have to work a hundred hours a week. Mm -hmm. um, but eventually I learned uh, that I didn't have to work a hundred hours a week. I did a while, 
but I did learn that I didn't have to do that. Um, but yeah, that's why I think it's just because mm -hmm. I worked really, I just worked really hard and I tried and I cared. Um, and I was willing to do uh, what was necessary. Okay. So then how did you transition from hospitality to, uh, um, to tourism? I didn't end my general manager career at this hotel. I was offered a general manager position at a larger hotel downtown Syracuse, which I took the position in about, and at the same time, I was working, doing some civic work. So I was also on the board of directors for Visit Syracuse. Visit Syracuse is the tourism bureau that is charged with uh, generating demand into the city and ultimately helping fill hotel rooms. Mm -hmm. So I was on that board and the city of Syracuse mm -hmm. at the time is in a, actually still in this position was seeing an increase in hotel room supply. So more hotels were being built, but the demand into the city was stagnant. So what was happening was the same number mm. of rooms were getting occupied, but it was being spread against more hotels, which meant that every hotel was now seeing a, a mm. lower amount of occupancy and therefore lower amounts of revenue. Right. And so, as a group of hotels, mm -hmm. we were frustrated with that, having no control over, um, you know, a letter, letting hotels be built and city was giving tax breaks, et cetera. We had no control over that. We needed to try to find a solution to the demand problem. So we, I had to find new ways to bring demand into the area. And so we hired the firm I now work for to come in and the firm that I work hmm. for now is the only firm in the country that helps cities set up revenue streams to bring in supplemental demand into an area. So there's a base amount of demand that comes into every area based on a number of things. I mean, what businesses and industry is there. So folks come into, we have a lot of hospitals in Syracuse. Uh, we have Syracuse University, obviously. Those are demand generators. Those are kind of built-in demand generators. Uh, we have some sporting facilities, things like that. Mm -hmm. But anything above and beyond that baseline has to be generated through marketing, creativity, festivals, events, mm. et cetera. So that tourism bureau is charged with doing right. that, with generating that extra demand but they can only do that within the resources that they have. They are funded by the government and allocation of tax collection is how the tourism bureau is funded. And that's the case across the country for the most part. So because the government only gives them an allocation and it's at their discretion, they can only drive enough demand with the amount of money that they're given, if that makes sense. And so there's not enough money to generate the scale of demand that was needed for our area. And so our firm helps cities generate more money so that they can drive more demand, essentially. So we hired this firm to come in. Um, I was the president of the hotel association at the time. That was another civic role that I had. Um, so we had them come in. They did a presentation to our group. We hired them for a period of time and ultimately uh, the president of the company called and offered me uh, this job. Oh, wow. So 
So what is so what is your job now? So you you go to cities and you try to help them come up with creative ways to get tourists to come to visit their city? Sort of. We help them get the money so that they can come up with creative ways to uh, so you're not actually like planning. You don't say like, let's come up with a festival. You just help them to get more funding. That's right. We help them get more funding. We set up special assessment districts. I actually work for a law firm uh, outside of the, which is based in California, outside of the bounds of California. We are a consulting firm because in order to be a law firm in any state, you have to have lawyers who have passed the bar in every state. Mm. And because we work nationally, obviously, passing the bar in every state is um, difficult. <laughs> so we are consultants outside. Of, and I'm not an attorney, obviously. I was hired because the firm needed uh, a resident expert in hotels because in order to set up these districts, hotels have to approve them. And so I speak mm. that language and understand what makes hotels tick. And um, my job is to build agreements between cities, tourism bureaus, and hotels to put these districts together to generate more money. Oh, wow. So you have to travel a lot. What's that like, traveling a lot? Yeah, traveling is, is great. I love to travel. Um, it depends on how much you travel. There are some times where I will travel to three or four cities in one week. That's not fun because mm -hmm. I'm not seeing anything. I'm getting off a plane and going to a hotel, going to a meeting, getting on a plane and so forth. So it depends. I will tell you one thing that I love about travel is meeting different people. I get to see when you kind of grow up in one area and you only work in one, one area and with one uh, space and one set of people, you don't really get to see outside uh, perspectives. You don't get to see how other places do it. And I've been able to really see um, how, and you know, we I've worked directly with New York City and Company. I've worked with uh, very small bureaus. I've worked with uh, most recently. I worked with a bureau in Reading, Pennsylvania, Berks County, Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. and so impressed, so impressed with with the caliber of people that I come in contact with across the board. I've worked with Baltimore. Um, uh, just a, a large range, uh, about 23 different cities to date that I've personally had the pleasure of working with and seeing how the cities drive tourism and um, how they conduct business. Kind of. What's been your favorite city that you visited? <sighs> Where to, I gotta be careful because I, I can't, like I hope my, my customers aren't <laughs> listening, but who, <laughs> favorite city, I would, well, Favorite destination, the, the best place I think that I've been to that I really enjoyed was a little set of islands off the coast of Georgia. It's called Golden Isles. Uh, St. Wow. Simon's Island is part of that. And that's, there's a pretty big, the PGA Tour goes there every year. Mm -hmm. um, beautiful. You would not know you were in Georgia. You would think you're in some tropical island. It's really small and quaint. Um, you can you ride uh, like you can ride a bike from your hotel and go around the whole island, you know, in no time. It's just it's a really cool place. Um, I love, wow, I never heard of that. I know. Well, see, that's the thing. That's what we do. We go to places that are really cool. They don't have enough money 
the reason why you don't know about them is because they don't have enough money to tell anybody about it. <laughs> so we help them get more money so that they can drive more visitors to their destination. Another city that I would say that I really liked and thought was really cool was Louisville. Louisville, Kentucky was mm -hmm. pretty cool. And that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those are a couple of highlights. Portland, Maine. I love Portland, Maine as well. Boston. Okay. <laughs> Number yeah. So what advice would you give to, uh, to travelers, whether it's traveling or just staying in hotels? Like what kind of advice would you give them? In terms of like decision making or just. Yeah. Yeah, decision making or or how to get a good stay like what you should look for okay in the hotel. like in planning you mean mm -hmm. uh i think there's a perception that if you plan your trip very far in advance that that somehow translates to savings and that's not necessarily true there mm -hmm. is a window of time very close to the time of arrival where hotels put their in their inventory out their their unsold inventory out as distressed inventory for very low rates that's why um platforms like hotwire exist mm -hmm. so depending on where you're going there are there are exceptions to that new york city runs a 94 percent annual occupancy what that means is hotels are sold out in new york city every day wow you're not going to be able to really manipulate that too much. That's just a place if you're gonna go, you're gonna pay to go there because everybody wants mm -hmm. to go there. It's supply and demand. But in most kind of normal cities, hotels on average don't run annual occupancies more than 75%. So mm -hmm. most of the time, unless there's a big event, which maybe you're going for a big event, but unless there's a big event, most of the time, there's inventory that is available that is available and up for negotiation. If you are savvy hmm. and you want to spend some time, there is no question you could call a front desk and negotiate a room rate. Wow, I did not know that. You just call the front desk and negotiate a room rate. Yeah, I mean, if the front desk agent isn't empowered to negotiate their boss certainly is and so i mean i can tell you as a general manager if we were if it was a sunday night and we received a request for a room it's sunday nights by the way are almost notoriously the night that uh, every hotel has a ton of inventory available you only run maybe 30 to 50 percent on a sunday night in most hotels so if the front desk received an inquiry we, even just a walk-in and they quoted mm -hmm. a rate, the rule was, if there was an objection to that rate, you do not let that person go. Hmm. And we would sell rooms and we would just say, you know, what, what, what's the price? What are you willing to pay? And if it was reasonable, I would tell them to take it. Wow. Yeah, because otherwise a room, a room is, Wasted. I yeah. mean, if it goes unsold, it's $0. So if you got, mm -hmm. $50, then you had $50 more than you had, right? So you would right. never do that on a day where you could fill your rooms or even come close because obviously you don't want to train your customers to behave that way. But in certain cases, mm -hmm. you can definitely do it. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. 
But you only could do that if it's close to the date, right? You can't like call like six months in advance and be like, oh, I want to negotiate my... It depends. It depends on, on the time of year. Like in Syracuse, the month of December runs 30% for the whole month. So pretty much any day in December, yeah, it, you could if you wanted to. But you have to have some inside knowledge around that. But in general, yeah. hotels... In general, paying the rate that you see when, or you, the first rate that you hear on the phone, you don't have to do that. Most of the Wow. So would you suggest if you were going to, you know, get a room, like to not just go to the internet website, like to book the room, to just call the hotel directly? If you, if you can, some reservation systems are pre-programmed to go to like a central reservation. If you can get to the desk, Sometimes you can't. Sometimes you call and it's like routed to a central reservation office somewhere in a different part of the country. But if you can get mm -hmm. to the desk, then yeah. Huh. What about using, um, you, you mentioned like Hotwire and stuff. Like what about using those sites? Are those? Yeah. Just, yeah. Um, I would say most hotels uh, of all levels participate in that. Uh, the only trouble is with that, you have to agree that you are buying the hotel based on the price point you want. And so you get to pick your level of hotel, two stars, three stars, four stars, five stars. And so mm -hmm. you pick that level and then you name your price, but you have zero control over what hotel you get put in. Right. So you trade that convenience for the price. But I would say in general, it's usually okay i would recommend staying at three star or above the two star could get real scary real quick i think but um yeah i think it's fine and I, you you definitely can get really good deals that window is two weeks before arrival most of the mm. time though it's even shorter two weeks it opens but i would say the best deals are three to four days out which is why people don't want to do it because they're afraid they're not going to have a room. If right. But right. You can make a room reservation, hold the room reservation. As long as your cancellation isn't within that time frame, then book the hot wire and cancel the room. Wow. Mm -hmm. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, these are great tips. Great yeah, tips. You're welcome. Well, thank you for uh for coming on the show right very interesting um route that you took to get to where you are today did you have any advice for for young people listen to your parents <laughs> <laughs> are you saying that because you have two kids <laughs> well this is it i think um so i didn't go to college well i didn't graduate college i went to college and i did some college and i actually it's probably noteworthy that i went back to college um, when I was about 26, because I wanted and needed to take accounting and economics courses because of the level I had reached in my hotel journey. Um, it, was, it was very helpful for me to understand those systems, but I never graduated mm. college. But it, it is really difficult now to be able to have a good career if you don't have a good level of education. And mm -hmm. 
fortunate for, for me, I worked really hard and I, I did the work I needed to do. And I had the people in front of me who, to help me and beside me to help me to, you know, to get there, uh, which is not always the case. You don't always have those things come together. Uh, but mm -hmm. my, my, I will tell you, my son who is in college now did say to me at one point, you do really well and you didn't go to school. So why should I go mm -hmm. to school? You right. know, and even though I, I am doing well, I'm doing what evolved in my life. I didn't graduate from high school and say, someday I want to be a tourism consultant. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that wasn't what, you know, my dream was. And I'm not saying we all get to have our dreams, but I think that, you know, had I chosen, had I applied the same work ethic and chosen a career of my choice and put the time and effort and work into my education and application thereafter, I probably could be in an even better position than I am today, I think. Hmm. I really think so. Hmm. So, and have, you know, I took the opportunities that were in front of me that were the best of the best opportunities, but ultimately they weren't of my choosing. You know, I like what I do. Mm. I have fun with what I do, but it's not, you know, like I said, I didn't, you know, grow up thinking I was going to be a tourism consultant and strive for that, you know? So I think when I say, listen to your parents, you know, the guidance that they gave, there's a reason for it, I should say. And I think that um, most of the time they know what they're talking about. So, <laughs> and work hard and um, suck it up. You know, it, it's hard and everything is hard. And the only way, the only way to the other side is through it. And you can procrastinate and you can kick the can and you can hope that it gets better. But in the end, the only way to get through it is to work your way through it. Good. Thank you. Well, thank you for coming on the show. It was fun. And Thanks for having me. We're, we're going to have a, a follow-up uh show with you um we're gonna have a series where we talk about different races and like race day like funny stories that have happened on race day so i know you've been in a lot of races yeah. and biathlon yeah. See, so that's what i wanted to do great stories from you i'm convinced i can make it to the olympics at 40 years old if i try hard enough it's <laughs> <laughs> another downfall of a really good work ethic <laughs> <laughs> all right well we'll talk to you again okay. soon thank you for tuning in and remember everyone has a story